come to look at God's Word together. Um, so if you want to grab a Bible um, from the tables in front of you, if you don't have one, or turn to it in your phone, if you've got a Bible on your phone, we're going to look at Matthew chapter 1, um, verses 18 through to 25, um, which is on page 965 in the Church Bibles, if you want to take a look. We'll read that together in just a few minutes. So we are now, can you believe it, three days away from Christmas Day. Who, who feels ready for Christmas Day? A lot of people don't, okay? I know we're ready in our house because Anna wrapped her Christmas presents last night. <laughs> That's the indication we're ready. So uh, we are now, I think, pretty much ready for Christmas. We had a big Sainsbury's delivery that arrived at our house last night with all of our food. Uh, we've got a lot of family staying over. Um, welcome, by the way, to all of Anna's family who are joining us this morning. Um, and more on the way tomorrow and Tuesday. So we just about managed to ram in um, all of this food into our freezer. If any of you had driven up our driveway, which I think most of you have, you'll know that it's interesting to say the least. And so we had a Sainsbury's delivery van that decided that they would attempt to reverse up the drive yesterday with a van full of food. Uh, suffice to say, he got halfway up and gave up. And so we did a sort of like, yeah, we we're ferrying food up and down the driveway at half nine, ten o'clock last night. So anyway, we are close to Christmas. And I, I guess that many of us know the Christmas story reasonably well. If we've been brought up going to church, even if we haven't, to be honest, the last few weeks we've been talking about the Christmas story from the front. We've had carol services, Christingle services. We've decorated our whole building and have a nativity scene here at the front that tells the story. I guess most of us are familiar with the story. Jesus' birth is announced by the angel Gabriel, who visits a young unmarried girl called Mary, tells her that she's going to become pregnant, but it will be no ordinary child. This will be the Son of God. She will conceive by the power of the Holy Spirit. Jesus is born in Bethlehem, laid in a manger because there's no room in the inn. Shepherds visit, wise men bring gifts. We kind of get the story. Here's a question that I want to ask you this morning. Is it true? That might sound a weird question to ask in church on a Sunday morning and with a bunch of Christians, but genuinely, is it true, really? And I ask that question because when we come to Scripture, there are two versions of this story that we find in the Gospels. One in Matthew's Gospel, which I'm going to read to us in a moment, and one in the Gospel of Luke. And they're quite different. Around Christmas time, we often, and we're going to do this on Christmas Day, read the story from Luke's Gospel, from the perspective of Luke the writer. And Luke tells this story from the point of view of Mary. So in Luke's Gospel account, the angel Gabriel visits Mary, tells Mary that she's going to have a son and so on. In Matthew's Gospel, we get this story from Joseph's perspective. And it really is quite different. So I kind of like to think of, of Matthew's gospel, if you like, as uh, like the skeptic's version of the story. Okay, If you were writing this story either as a skeptic or to skeptics, I kind of think this is how you might tell it. So let's, let's read this together. Uh, let's have a look at Matthew chapter 1 from verse 18. This is what it says. 
This is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son and you are to name him Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins." All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home to be his wife. But he did not consummate their marriage until she gave birth to a son, and she gave him the name Jesus. So there's Matthew's account, okay, from Joseph's perspective. Now, if you were to read Luke's version of this event from Mary's perspective, I'm going to paraphrase for you. It goes a little bit like this. Angel Gabriel appears to Mary, tells her this amazing news that she's going to fall pregnant with the Son of God. And Mary's like, what? How is that even possible? And the angel says, well, nothing is impossible for God. And Mary says, cool, great, where do I sign up? That's the street version. That's the sort of paraphrase of what happens in Luke's rendition of the account. Not so with Matthew. Matthew tells us a completely different story. Matthew tells us how Joseph hears about Mary's pregnancy. And here's the thing. Joseph, like any self-respecting Jew of his day, came to the only logical conclusion. Mary's been unfaithful. Because presented with the facts that is the only reasonable conclusion that you would arrive at. In accordance with scriptural teaching, Joseph and Mary had not slept together before marriage. So the fact that she is now pregnant before they are married means only one thing, Mary must have been unfaithful. So we don't quite get the joyful initial response from Joseph that you see with Mary in Luke's account. Now, doubtlessly, Mary has tried to explain to Joseph what happened. An angel visited me, sent from God, and said that I was going to fall pregnant, and this guy would be the son of God, and he'd be conceived by the Holy Spirit. And would you believe a story like that? I remember when I was at secondary school and uh, one of my best friends at the time was a habitual liar, and particularly in the area of homework. So every single week, didn't matter what the subject was, didn't matter who the teacher was, this used to happen. We would be asked to get our homework out, put it on the, put it on the desk, and the teacher would come round and collect it. And... Uh, this guy, every single time, you could predict what was going to happen. So what would happen is, um, he would make this big drama, this big deal of getting his school bag out, putting it on the desk, and one by one, taking everything out of his school bag and go, it's definitely in here somewhere. It's definitely in here somewhere. Oh, where's it gone? I, it's definitely in here. And the thing is, every week this would happen, every single week. And then the excuses would begin to come. 
So first of all, it would be, uh, yeah, well, um, I think I did it, but I put it in my brother's school bag. So yeah, they are, that, that's what's happened. I've definitely done it, but I think it must have got eaten by the dog. I've definitely done it, but I think it must have fallen out of my bag on the way to school. I've definitely done it, but now I come to think of it, there was a band of armed robbers that, that kidnapped me on the way to school. I think they probably, I mean, they got more and more outlandish. And everyone in the room was just thinking, stop lying. Just fess up, tell the truth. Stop this ridiculous charade. So here we are, 14-year-old girl, probably, Mary, unmarried, pregnant by the Holy Spirit with the Son of God. Honestly, Joseph, that is definitely what happened. Put yourself for a minute in his shoes. What conclusion would you come to? But here's the thing, and here's what happens next. The angel of the Lord appears to Joseph in a dream, confirms everything that has happened, and says, in fact, this amazing story is true. And Matthew, if you have a look there, right at the end in verse 25, gives us a really important detail which would only be necessary if he was wanting to emphasize the truth of this event. Joseph did not consummate the marriage. Mary and Joseph did not sleep together until after Jesus was born. So just in case there's any doubt here, Matthew wants to make it crystal clear this is a miraculous conception. And the thing is, Matthew is not writing this account for the benefit of idiots, okay? Matthew's audience are primarily Jewish people. Matthew is writing his gospel to the Jewish community, many of whom would have been very well read, very learned. He's writing to scholars and educated people who would have known their scriptures well. And he's writing to those who would have been natural skeptics, And it's not that the Jewish people didn't believe that God was going to send a rescuer and a Messiah, somebody to come and save them. They absolutely did believe that. The thing is, most of them did not believe that it would come this way. This was such an unlikely way for God to act. For God to come down to earth and to be born into poverty and to choose to be born to an unremarkable young woman in an unremarkable location just didn't fit with how many of them thought God worked and acted. And Matthew is trying to tell his audience and his readers Yes, this story is fantastical. Yes, it's amazing. Yes, it's unlikely. And yes, even Joseph didn't believe that it was true. But I'm telling you that it is. So I want to ask you this morning, three days before Christmas, when we celebrate this event in full, do you really believe that it's true? Not metaphorically true and not true in a manner of speaking and not true in theory and not a story with true principles behind it but actually really literally true because how we answer that question makes all the difference in the world because this goes to the heart of 
the issue of who we believe God is. This is bigger than one story and one event and one set of circumstances. It goes right to the heart of the matter. Who do you believe God is and how do you believe that he moves and acts in the world today? This is the crux of the matter. Do you believe that God could and would act like that? Do you believe that he could and would? Because if your answer to that question is yes, then your worldview has just been blown wide apart. Your worldview has just become a million times bigger. Because God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. The God of creation is the same God who was there 2,000 years ago when Jesus was born. Is the same God today. His power is in no way diminished. So it follows that if God could and God would, then he can and he will. That's pretty big stuff. There are people today that will refute that and say, you know, of course, miracles don't actually happen today. Not, not really. There are some that say, well, God could, but he won't. And they will point to all kinds of instances where prayers haven't been answered, where it seems like God didn't intervene, and they will conclude God is unwilling. Now, there are no easy answers to some of those questions, and I'm not here to offer you simplistic solutions and simplistic responses. There are times where we pray earnestly and with great faith, and God doesn't intervene in the way that we would like. God doesn't move in the way that we would hope. And there are some questions that we will not have answers to this side of eternity, and we need to learn to live with that in faith. But let us not use that to create a theology about God where we limit him, where we box him in, and where we conclude that he can't and he won't. God is able, and he is willing. So I want to leave us this morning with a bit of a challenge about how we actually view God. Are there times where our view, our perception of God needs to be corrected? Are there times where actually our perception of God doesn't match up with the God that we read about in the Bible? Are there times where our perception of God is not the same God who caused the virgin birth, who's not the same God who created the universe? Do we believe in the God that we read about in the pages of Scripture? And do we really believe he is the same God today at work in the world? And really, literally. There are some people that would say to me, yeah, of course, but, you know, God wouldn't really do that. Or God wouldn't do this for me. Well, let me just flip that question around. Why wouldn't he? Why would a loving God not move in power, not work miraculously, not intervene in your life? Why would he not? And of course, there are caveats that we might want to put around that. We need to pray in accordance with God's will and so on and so on. But the bottom line is, God can and he will. I wonder if sometimes we manage our expectations of God. 
So I want to leave us with a bit of a simple question that we're going to respond to in just a moment. And I hope this might linger in your minds and hearts over Christmas. What is it you really need from God? Where is it, even today, that you are calling out to him? What is your heart cry to the King of Kings? What is your prayer? Where do you need him to move and to speak miraculously and powerfully? Do you need to see him at work? Do you need to see him in answered prayer? Do you need to see him doing something that seems impossible? And do you believe that the God that we cry out to is the same God who moved in this story and did something utterly miraculous and amazing? Do you believe that he can and he will? He can and he will. Can I invite us to stand? Um, Perhaps Toby and Claire could come up and join me.